go into uh, Philippians chapter 2 again. <coughs> Let's pray before we start. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you today for your blessings and your mercy. We ask that you'd be with us, that you would be with your reading of your word, and that you would uh, help us, God, to do your will, help us to hear from you today. Father, we just ask that you would uh, speak to us through your word. We thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2, I know that uh, the last couple of, this whole chapter really is, it's about uh, investing yourself in the brethren. It's about humbling yourself, thinking on the things of others. We've talked about that three or four times already. And um, to be honest, if you're, if you're honest, if you're like me, you probably, I mean, it's been some pretty tough, pretty tough messages, pretty tough um, uh, truths that we've had to, have to look at through, uh, through Philippians chapter 2. And so, um, you know, it, it, it almost seems like sometimes it's like uh, it, it's a task that's too overwhelming. And you ever, you ever been in, in one of those tasks where it's just there's so much to do, so much that you have to do, you don't even know where to start. I mean, it's almost like it's easy just to walk away from this thing rather than just to, to go and, and, and do something that you know it's going to take forever. You know the task is immense. You know it's just, I don't know, maybe if you're cleaning your house or if you've got school that you're trying to do, if you've got a big, huge building project that's just massive that you don't know how you're going to, you don't even know where to begin because it's so big. Sometimes you feel like that. You feel overwhelmed. It reminds me of that show. They used to have a show. They might still have it. Uh, they call it Hoarders, where they, the people have junk all in the house, you know, and they would they have this stuff. I mean, you just think your house is messy. They, they would stack it from from floor to ceiling, and they would have little paths and walkways that they could walk through the house, and, and that's just how they lived. They didn't throw nothing away. I mean, it was just stuff everywhere. And when they go in, you know, the whole the whole premise of the show was, you know, they would go to clean these folks' house up, you know, to help them to stop doing that. And, you know, the it would be like you, you got a whole room this size full of junk from floor to ceiling, and you start picking out things one at a time, start saying, you, we're going to keep this, we're going to throw it away, we're going to keep... After, you know, it's just, it's so overwhelming a task. It's like, you know, to be honest, it's, it's too much. I mean, you're just asking, you're asking me to start doing something. You're asking me to do something that's just impossible to do because Paul gave us the example. He said, I want you to be like Christ. He said, I want you to have the mind of Christ that who thought it not robber to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and took the form of a servant, and he said, I want you to do that. I want you to invest yourself like Christ. Well, that's a pretty tall order for me to be like Jesus. You know, Jesus was God himself, perfect. And so if most of the time when we think about jobs like that or think about tasks that we have to do that are just so overwhelming, that are, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and you're right. I believe you. It's not like I, don't, I disagree with you or anything, but come on, man. I mean, you're asking a whole bunch. That's a big, that's a big deal. I mean, you're asking me, you're asking me to change all of this stuff, to change all of the way I view these things, to be like the, the son of God who is perfect. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I got so much stuff that I got to sift through so much sin, so much selfishness, so much stuff I got to dig through. I mean, where do you even begin? Where do you even start with something like that? And a lot of times we, you see it. Where, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like if I if I have a job like that where it's just so overwhelming and you don't, it's just easier if, if I start working on it, you know, start eating the elephant one bite at a time. 
if I if it don't look like I'm making a dent in it, if it don't look like I'm making a mark, I'm gonna take my ball. I'm gonna go home. You know, I, I just oh, fine. You know, if I if I give it all I got, you know, and it don't even look like I made a dent in the thing, uh, it, it's hard to keep going. It's hard to keep after it. Well, Paul probably knows that this is how we think. This is how we're gonna view this thing because, to be honest. That's the way our, our minds work. You know, you, you, you maybe come and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my effort into it. I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna invest myself in somebody. I'm going uh, to invest myself in building up uh, the brethren. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Sunday school today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, take part, and I'm going to get involved in people's lives. You know? and, and you know, sometimes it don't work out right. Sometimes it, it don't end up the way you think it should. Sometimes it just don't even look like you had an effect at all. Sometimes it look like it looks like you're not even making a dent. You know, it's, it's nobody's responding. Nobody's nobody's doing anything. You know, it just seems like I'm here. I'm putting all this effort in and it doesn't even look like it's, there's any effect at all. And it's easier to say, you know what, the job's just too big and my little meager effort's not going to matter at all. And so, you know what, I'm just going to take my ball and go home. I'm just going to worry about something else because that, that's too overwhelming a task for me to do. Well, Paul probably knows that we think this way. I'm sure he does because Paul was not, he wasn't God. He wasn't God man. He was just a man uh, that was uh, sent by Christ to give us, uh, to give us this word and to, and to start all these churches all over. And so Paul is going to give us, as we end this chapter today, chapter two, he's going to give us two examples of what he's been talking about. Two men he's going to set up before us. He's going to show us who they are, Timothy and Epaphroditus. That's their names. And he's going to show us the heart that he's been telling us that we need to have. Now, these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're not sinless. They're not perfect. They're not, they're not doing things that no other man can do. And we, you know, they're not parting the waters and, and calling down the fire from heaven and doing all the... They're not. They're just regular old guys. They're regular old guys, but the difference is they have a heart that, uh, that Paul exemplifies here as what he is telling us that we should have. And he's going to hold them to these two men up right here at the end of chapter two. He's going to hold these two men up as examples to say, you know what? The task is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. It is huge. And sometimes it's going to feel like you're not making a dent in it. He said, but look at these two men. There's always going to be people among you that exemplify this, this, this attitude that we're to have. This mind of Christ is what Paul calls it in the beginning of chapter 2. There's always going to be men among you that do this. And so you look to them. You look to, look to these examples that he's given us in Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's, let's just read the text. I'm going to read all the, the, the rest of it. From 18 all the way down. And then we'll go back and I'm just going to pick out a verse or two and uh, tell you what I see in the text. It says, the last thing he told us was, he says, you know what? If you're striving with each other and you're loving one another and you're investing in one another, he says, if I be offered on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, if I be offered up, if I'm going to die, he said, that'll be fine with me. I joy and rejoice with you all. And then in 18, it says, for the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. We read that last time. And then 19, he's going to switch gears here. He's going to say, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, which is Timothy, shortly unto you that I also that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state for all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But, you know, the proof of him. 
that as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so as so as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. And he says, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor, fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longeth after you and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him only, not on, not him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. And so he gives us these two men. I'm going to go through these verses as well. Sometimes it's easy to get lost in the midst of all those sections. But Timothy and Epaphroditus. Basically, the two men have a lot of similarities. They uh, have given themselves for the service of Christ. They've given themselves for the service of the body. Uh, They've given themselves to... To serve the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to see something. When we think about serving the kingdom, we, serve, we think about serving the, uh, Christ. We think about having a heart that, that does for Christ. A lot of times, our mind is focused on what's going on out there. And that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what we're called to do. I'm not making little or belittling that at all. That's a huge part of it. But there's another part. There's another side to that coin that is what's going on in the body of Christ. I'm going to show you today that all the things that Timothy and Epaphroditus are doing right here as Paul is talking about them. Uh, Of course, if you read through Acts, you'll know Timothy and all these guys. They were with Paul, starting churches, spreading the gospel, doing all these things. But what they're doing right here that he says, I want you to model these guys. I want you to hold such men in, in reputation. I want you to hold them, honor them highly. What they're doing here is they're investing their lives in the brethren. Timothy is going to be sent to Philippi, already a church. He's going to strengthen the brethren. Paul is going to send him to edify the brethren and strengthen them there and then come back to Paul and tell him what's going on in Philippi. And he says that's part of the ministry of the kingdom of God to edify those brethren, to edify you, to to strengthen you. And then Epaphroditus came from Philippi. He was their messenger. He brought he brought um, a gift to Paul from the Philippian church, uh, money to keep going. Back then, if you were in prison, if you were uh, even under house arrest like Paul was, but it's still prison. If you're in prison, they didn't feed you and clothe you and all that kind of stuff like we do today in prison. If you're going to eat in prison, some of your family's going to have to bring you something to eat. Otherwise, you starve to death. And so they brought him money or, or gifts to supply his needs. He says here to supply his wants. And Epaphroditus got sick at some time and now he's better. And Paul's going to send him back to Philippi so that they will rejoice. They had heard he was sick. I'm going to get into all this in a minute. I'm just giving you an overview. 
All the things that you see Timothy and Epaphroditus doing here that Paul tells the church to hold them in high regard and to model themselves after these two men had to do with strengthening the brethren, edifying each other, being involved in each other's lives, giving to one another, not just money and things like that, but investing your life in the body of Christ. That's what this whole chapter has been about. And so what he's going to do is he's going to hold these two men up. But understand, we know, I'm going to show you some things about Timothy you may not have known. These are not perfect men. These are not men that have it all going on. These are not men who don't sin and don't fail and don't fall and don't have worries and fears and don't have other concerns and all. No, these are just regular guys, just like you and I. But Paul holds them up as examples for us. So that we understand, you know, you just have to walk as you have opportunity. You have to invest your life into the body of Christ as you have opportunity. It's not a matter of like having your house full of junk and you're a hoarder. It's not a, ma- it's not a matter of getting it all cleaned up in an hour and being done and having, being able to sit down. It's a matter of taking it one step at a time, day after day after day. It's a matter of actually investing your life. Not just doing something today and then taking a break for four weeks and saying, you know, well, I did my part. It's a matter of walking in this thing. It's a matter of living this out. And this is what he's going to do. He's going to hold these two men up to us. So first, let's look at Timothy. Um, Timothy, um, Paul says, I'm going to send him soon to you. In verse 18 says for the same. No, no. 19. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly to you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. And then if you look down to verse 23, he says, uh, he says him. Therefore, I hope to send you presently as soon as I know how it's going to go with me. But I trust in the Lord. I also will come to you. He says, look, I'm going to send Timothy to you soon. Timothy's not going right now. He says, I'm going to wait and figure out what's going to happen with me. Timothy's with me and I'm going to wait until he remember he's in prison. He's waiting to see if he's going to be executed. He's waiting to see the Roman emperor. And he says, I'm going to send him to you soon. Uh, when I see how it's going to go with me, I'm going to send I'm going to send Timothy to you. Um, this was probably from Rome to Philippi it was about an 800 mile trip. And so you get the sense from the way he said, look, in uh, verse 19, he says, I trust in the Lord to send Timotheus shortly to you that I may know that I may be of comfort when I know your state. It's almost like Timothy's going round trip, isn't it? He's going there. He's going to edify the brethren. He's going to do what he does. He's going to minister to them. And then he's going to come back to Paul and he's going to tell them what's going on and tell them how they are. And Paul's going to rejoice because everything's going good. Timothy is a model for us of service. He's going to, we're going to see that over and over again. He's a model for us of service. Now, you're Timothy. Remember, he calls him my son in the faith here and then in two other places in the New Testament. These two are close. Timothy and, and Paul are close. Now, Paul is on trial for his life. He's They don't know yet whether he's going to, he's about to go and see Nero was the Caesar. He's about to go and remember he appealed to Caesar in Acts and he's waiting for kind of his hearing before. He could very well die. He could very well have his head cut off. And can you imagine Timothy, his son in the faith is what he calls him. This one who had been with him all this time, through all these years, through all these churches. I don't want to leave. I don't want to go 800 miles away 
while you're, you know, while you're here in prison. But Paul understood that this is an important task, that he is going to go to Philippi and he is going to strengthen the brethren. That's what you're here for. And so Timothy is a model of service. He says he served with me in the gospel just to... Now listen, think about this. When you think about going 800 miles, you're thinking about, you know, you're thinking about going to start a church. You're thinking about going to spread the gospel. And that's what we do. That Timothy and Paul did that throughout the book of Acts. And they continued to do it even to, to the day that Paul died, as you see him writing in 2 Timothy. But in this particular instance... Timothy was traveling over 800 miles just to strengthen the brethren, just to edify those who were downcast, who were worried, who didn't know what was going on, who were sad because of what Paul was going through. They didn't know about Epaphroditus. They thought he had died because he was sick, that he was going just to strengthen the brethren. Can you imagine it's that important? It's that important to be invested in the life of this local body of believers. He was going to the church at Philippi. It's that important that he was going just to strengthen them, just to edify them, just to build them up. And then he was going to come all the way back to Rome, back to Paul and tell them, tell Paul about what he what he had done, about how the Philippians were doing. It's that important to him that they are strengthened, that they are built up, that they're discipling. One another. So Timothy is going to be sent to Philippi. Now look at what look at what he says about Timothy. Let's look at the characteristics of this guy, and, we're, and then we'll look at the Epaphroditus, and then we'll we'll be done. He says, "For I have no verse twenty. I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state. Who will? What he's saying there is, I have nobody with me that will genuinely, that really, really is concerned." For you that naturally will is genuinely concerned for you who loves you, who is concerned about your well-being. He has a heart that is concerned. That's that word care. There is the same word that's 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 used for worry. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. You know, your heavenly father knows what you need. It's the same word that Paul's going to use in this letter when he says, be careful for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known. He's saying, don't worry. Now, Timothy's, Timothy's care, his concern, his worry for the Philippians right here is not a sinful thing where Paul's saying, oh, don't do that. It's just showing the depth of how he was concerned about these Philippians. He had a heart for the fellowship of the believers. He had a heart. Look, they were struggling. They were going through times of doubt, not knowing what was going to happen to Paul, what's going to happen to us. They were going through some strife. We're going to see that in chapter four. There were some people that were at each other's throats in the midst of all this fellowship. And Paul was concerned about this. And Timothy was concerned about this. He says, I don't have anybody that's like minded with the same mind as me that has a care for the body of Christ like Timothy. That's why I'm sending him to you. I don't have anybody like-minded that is really concerned about what's going on in your church, about what's going on in your fellowship. And look why he doesn't have anybody. In verse 23, or verse, uh, excuse me, verse 21. Why don't he have anybody that's like-minded? For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. 
Now, that should make some bells go off in your mind if you read this whole chapter. What did Paul tell us to do right at the beginning? He told us to have the mind of Christ, to esteem others better than ourselves, and to not think on our own things only, but also the things of others. And look right here, he says, look, I'm going to send Timothy to you because Timothy is genuinely concerned. And I don't have anybody that's like-minded like him around me because everybody else is thinking about their own stuff. They're not thinking about the things of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to think of the things of Jesus Christ? You think of, I don't know, you think of Bible study. You think of all the things that you could do. You think of helping the homeless. I mean, all those things, all those things are good. They count. That, that's the things of Jesus Christ. You think of spreading the gospel. That's certainly, that was the last command Christ gave us. Go and, go and make disciples. You think of, you can think of all kinds of things. But what do you think Paul's talking about right here? He's talking about Timothy's concern for the unity of the body of Christ. He's talking about Timothy's concern for the strengthening of the body of Christ, bringing them together, stopping all this strife, stopping all this stuff. And what is he saying? He's not saying, hey, guys, you know, you probably ought to just be good. You probably ought to just come on and and act right. No, he's saying He's saying that everybody's thinking about their own stuff, their own things. Everybody thinks about their own and not the things of Jesus Christ. He's not saying it's not necessarily that, oh, Joe and Frank, they've gone off into sin and they're down at the gambling house or they're down at the whorehouse or they're down at the whatever. And they just forgot all about Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily that it could be, but it's not necessarily that. It's just that we've gone our own way. We have, in, we have separated ourselves from the body. We've separated ourselves from each other. We've become independent and said, you know what? I don't need all these folks. I don't need all these things. You know what, Paul? My, I, I get a picture in my mind. This is all just me thinking out loud. But I get a picture in my mind of Paul coming to this guy, you know, that's with him there. You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive to be there with the Apostle Paul. Paul's a famous guy. You know, all kinds of Acts tells us all people from all over came to see him while he was in prison in Acts. And so you know, be Paul's right hand man or to be right there. That, that might, you know, that might give you a little prestige, a little, little, you know, uh, no, you can't see Paul right now. He's busy. Uh, it, it might give you that little deal. And so he comes up to one of his one of the guys that's with him. You know, I'm just thinking out loud and said, I need you to go to Philippi because they're having trouble over there and we need to protect that body. Well, I don't want to go to Philippi. Forget that. That's 800 miles away. They're persecuting people over there. I'm not doing, uh-uh, forget that. He's going to send Timothy because everybody else is seeking their own. They're not seeking the things of Christ. You can't have a heart for Christ and not love the people that Christ loves. You can't have a heart for Christ and the things Christ desires and not have a heart for the bride of Christ whom he loves and gave his life for. The, the quintessential example of what a, a, a husband is supposed to be to his wife is what? To love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave his life for him. But so often we want, I want to love Christ but I ain't really, you know, the whole, the whole church thing, you know, I'll go, I'll go and I'll make my presence known, but I'm not getting involved with them. I'm not messing around with all that kind of stuff. Understand, Jesus loved the church. Can you imagine doing your wife that way? 
Oh, I'm a husband. I, you know, I can imagine. I'll just put me in a deal. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh. Can you imagine Dana, me going, you know, now, Dana, I love you, but you need to keep away from me. I, you know, I mean, I, I'll walk through and say hi to you once a week. But I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be involved in none of your problems. All you women come home and all this blood. You know, just keep all that to yourself. Can you imagine? I probably wouldn't be married long. That, <laughs> we'll keep that between us. That is how a husband loves his wife, right? You're involved in her problems. You're involved in her life. You're involved in, that's the model for how Christ loves the church. And we're, when he says, you know, husbands love your wife and Christ love the church. I mean, that's that's a real that's a real thing. Jesus loves his church and he's invested in his church and he's with his church. Wherever two or three or more gathered, he's with his church. And so for a, for a person who has the heart of, for Christ, the mind of Christ, like Paul told us to have. You can't you can't separate the two. It's impossible. It's impossible to do no more than you could say, I love my wife, but I only want to say hi to her once a week and I don't want to get involved in any of her stuff. It's impossible. And so Timothy has this heart. It's just it's not a perfect heart. He's not a perfect guy. We're going to see Timothy's Timothy's probably more fragile than most of us. But he has a heart for the body of Christ. He said, Paul said, I don't have anybody like-minded that's going to, that's going to care for you genuinely, naturally. He said, why? Because all of them seek their own. They're not seeking the things of Christ. Paul is equating the things of Christ right here with the well-being and the growth of the church. He says, I've got, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he has a care and concern for you because everybody else is only seeking their own. They're not seeking the things of Christ. He equates the body of Christ and the well-being of them, the unity of them, the growth and the discipleship of the body of Christ with the things of Jesus Christ. Those two things are equated. And so he says, I'm going to send Timothy. Not like others. He is seeking the things of Jesus Christ rather than his own. In verse 22, he says, but you know the proof of him that is a son with the father. He has served with me in the gospel. Timothy is a quintessential servant. He's a servant. Understand, you get Timothy's a young guy and you get the picture like he's kind of Paul's lackey. You ever seen that cartoon was, hey, Spike, hey, Spike, what do you want to do now, Spike? You know, like with the two dogs walking. That's the kind of picture you get of Paul and Timothy. That's not the case. Timothy is a servant. Look what he's serving. He's serving with me in the gospel. He's not Paul's lackey. He's not Paul's, uh, he's not Paul's servant. He's not Paul's slave. Paul doesn't command him to go here and go there. He's simply a servant of the gospel. He's serving the gospel. You know the proof of him because, he, because in Acts, when Paul started the Philippian church, way back when we're talking about Lydia, the seller of purple, and the Philippian jailer and all those kind of things, Timothy was right there with them. They know Timothy. They know what kind of man he is. They know what kind of stuff he was doing. They know that he was with Paul and he had a heart for Christ. And so he says, you know the proof of Timothy. You know what kind of man Timothy is. 
And that just as a son with his father, he served with me. It wasn't slave and master. It was a family relationship with like a son with his father. He served with me in the gospel. Now, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about Timothy is, well, you don't understand. I'm not I'm not built like Timothy. I'm not I'm not like that. I mean, I, I I'm not a very outgoing person. You know, I'm, I, I have I have anxiety and I get nervous around a bunch of people. I get nervous talking to strangers. I, I'm not built you're telling me to invest my life in the brethren. You're telling me to invest my invest myself in the body of Christ. You're telling me to get involved in each other's lives so we can grow together and we can disciple each other. Iron sharpens iron. But I'm just not like that. I, I'm kind of a solitary person. I've always been that way. I don't want people messing in my stuff and I don't want to mess in nobody else's stuff. I don't want to get involved in all those things. I'm not built that way. Some people are built that way, and that's good. But you need to understand that I'm not like that. I want to introduce you to Timothy just a little bit. By everything that we know about Timothy written in the scripture, Timothy seems like a very timid, scared, fearful, sickly little fella. It seems like he's terrified all the time. And he's definitely sick all the time. Let me read you a few verses. I just wrote these down. You don't have to turn there. Whenever Paul, Paul's going to send Timothy also to the Corinthian church in first Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Paul's telling the Corinthians, he says, now, if Timotheus come, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord, as do I. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me. It's almost like Paul saying, y'all, be, be nice to Timothy. You know, is it, you know how he is. Make sure that he, he's not, he doesn't have to be scared of y'all. Make sure that y'all make a way for him. You know how Timothy is. It's almost like he's making excuses for it. And then in 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, that's right after the passage where he says to stir up that gift within you. He tells Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. You know that verse, sound mind. He says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He's encouraging Timothy. Timothy, God didn't give you this spirit of fear. God didn't give you all this. He tells him in another place, he says, Timothy. Don't let these people despise your youth. Be an example to the brethren. He says, don't let them look down on you just because you're young. And then in, in 1 Timothy 5, 23, he tells him, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. You're many in sicknesses. Like, like Timothy's sick all the time. Like, oh, my belly hurts. You ever met that guy? It's like stress. Come, oh, my stomach's hurting. Now, from all this, I, I can't, I mean, this is not an ironclad case. I'm just thinking, I'm just showing you what it seems like. It seems like Timothy is kind of a timid little sickly fellow. It seems like Timothy is scared of his own shadow, scared of, uh, of what's going to happen, of what might go on. And Paul is continually having to encourage him. Don't be scared. He's even writing churches that he sent Timothy to saying, look, when Timothy gets there, y'all be nice to him. But in Scripture, in Acts, and in Timothy, the first and second Timothy, Timothy is a mighty, mighty man of God in the churches that he pastors, 
in the churches that he ministers to. He's faithful. He's a servant. He's always there working. He's all in each of the churches. You see him uh, ministering around with Paul in Acts. He is mighty. Presented as a mighty man in scripture. Not because he's built that way. But because of the Holy Spirit that lives in him and him understanding that he has to care for the body. He has concern for the body of Christ. So you can't say, you can't say, that, oh, I'm a worrier. I'm, you know, I, hey, you know what? I am too. I don't like, I don't, I'm not a very conversation person. I know that shocked y'all, right? I'm not good at small talk. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you need and then go away. I mean, not y'all. I'm talking about everybody else. But you. you can't say that's not me. I'm just not like that. You know, God didn't make me like that. No, he didn't make Timothy like that either. But Timothy is who Paul said, you know, I'm sending him to you because he cares. He's like minded. He's going to serve. He served with me in the gospel, even though he had all these failings, all these faults. When I started, I told you it's too it's too big of a task. You're asking me to be like Jesus. I can nobody be like Jesus. He holds up Timothy and Epaphroditus here. Timothy is not a perfect man. He's got flaws. He's got faults. He's got battles. He's got things he's fighting with. But the one thing that he has, the one thing he holds up as an example to us is he has a care and a concern for the body of Christ. The other guy, I got to hurry up. His, uh, the other guy is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was, let me just give you the story and I'll read a couple of verses and we'll go. The Epaphroditus was the messenger. He, he might have been an elder at the church in Philippi. We really don't know. But he, he is the one that the Philippians sent to Paul to bring him the gift, the money, the, the, the aid that aids his, you know, his ministry in Rome as he's stuck there in prison. And what happened is Epaphroditus got sick. Maybe on the way or when he got there, he got sick. Not, not just, oh, I'm, I don't feel good, but really sick, like I'm about to die. He's going to die sick. But God had mercy on him and he, he recovered. God healed him and, and he's better now. And now he's about, Paul is going to send him immediately. Going to send him back down to Philippi to let them know because they're all upset because the rumor hit that Epaphroditus is sick. It says, he says when he, when he sends him, he says, uh, verse, where am I at? 25. He says, yet I suppose it necessary right now. He's going to send Epaphroditus. My brother, look at these descriptions of Epaphroditus. My brother, my companion in what? In labor. My fellow soldier. That means he's a, he's a fighter. He doesn't, it's not, not easily defeated. But your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, they sent him to minister to Paul once. Now look what, look what he shows us about Epaphroditus' heart. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. Why is he so upset? Why is he heavy, full of heaviness? Why? Because he heard, he, because that you had heard that he had been sick. Now, can you imagine? I don't know about y'all, but you ever met that guy that says, well, I was sick. Didn't know they all even called me. Epaphroditus is worried about the Philippians because they're worried about him being sick. He wants to hurry up and get back home to let them know, hey, I'm okay. Let's all rejoice. It's all good. He's worried about them because they're worried about him. And he wants to hurry up and send news to them that, hey, it's all good. I'm not sick. I'm fine. 
He says he longs after you all. Verse 27 says, for indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God, Epaphroditus was such a blessing to Paul that he said God had mercy on me by sparing him, by healing him. That because it would have been sorrow upon sorrow if something would have happened to him. He says, I'm going to send him more carefully. I sent him therefore more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. It'd be better when I send him back. You can rejoice. He's fine. He's going to rejoice because you're rejoicing and I'm going to rejoice because y'all are all rejoicing. And then 2930, this is where this is where we'll end. He says, receive him, therefore, in the Lord with gladness and hold such. He's talking about such men as Timothy and Epaphroditus in reputation. That means high esteem. Hold such in high esteem. He's holding up Timothy and Epaphroditus as an example. He's not just telling them, hey, guys, I'm going to send these two dudes to you. He's saying, I've given you some hard instructions. Have the mind of Christ. Think on the things of others. Humble yourself like I've given you some hard instruction. I'm going to show you two real world examples. Men that are not perfect, that don't have it all going on, are sinners just like you and I. He says, but of such, you hold these men in high reputation. You hold them up, understanding that they're not Jesus. They're not perfect, but they're striving for that perfection. They're eating the elephant one bite at a time. They're cleaning the the hoarded house of their life one thing at a time. They are striving for the goal. They're pressing for the prize. They're reaching for it. It's not it's an overwhelming task, but it's one that we invest our lives in. He says, look, Epaphroditus, it's not just like, oh, whoops, he got sick. Paul doesn't pretend Paul doesn't present it that way to us. Epaphroditus got sick on his travel, his 800-mile journey, and they didn't have no cars or planes to see Paul because he valued the work of Christ more than his own life. Look what it says in verse 30. He says, it tells us to hold them in reputation because for the work of Christ, he, Epaphroditus, was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. It almost sounds like you guys wasn't doing what you're supposed to do. That's not what he means. They're 800 miles away. They can't come and visit Paul every other day and bring him what he needs. So they sent Epaphroditus with the whole collection, with the whole thing. He says, look, for the work of Christ. When you think of the work of Christ, what do you think? You think of going to Africa somewhere that nobody's ever been to. And that is the work of Christ. You think of you think of knocking on door, going door to door and asking people if they know Jesus. And that most certainly is the work of Christ. But right here, what he's talking about, why did Epaphroditus get Epaphroditus get sick? Because he chose to leave Philippi, travel 800 miles just to minister to the needs of a brother. He is going to leave that brother and go back the same way he came, the same journey that got him sick in the first place. We don't know how he got sick, but you can imagine it's not a very pleasant thing to travel 800 miles by donkey or walking. He's going to go that same trip back 
and risk life and limb just so he can get back to his brothers and sisters and encourage them in the fact that, hey, I'm not dead. It's all good. The work of Christ, because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. What is that work he's talking about right here? He's talking about investing in the body of Christ, serving among the believers, serving Christ by serving his people and being involved in growing discipleship and well-being of each other, loving one another. Because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not because he caught some bug, but it was because of the work of Christ. And it was because he didn't regard his own life. Isn't that what he told us in the very beginning of chapter two? Don't think on the things, your own things, but on the things of others. Not regarding his life in order, in order to supply what you couldn't give toward me. Paul could have said, hey, don't waste your time. I'm fine. Go out, go out west with the gospel. You know, there in Philippi, you could go all the way to Spain, go all the way to Spain and France and all. Go out west with the gospel. He praised him for doing the work of Christ by investing in a fellow believer. This is not an impossible task. It seems impossible when you say, I want you to be like Jesus and think on it. It's impossible. I mean, it's so big. It's like I got so much stuff wrong with me. I mean, I got so much sin I got to work out. I got so many things that are wrong. I got issues in my heart. I got issues in my mind and my behavior. I, I got so much junk to sift through. It's never going to be right. It doesn't have to be right. He holds these two men up. One of them we know was a fearful, sickly little guy that was used mightily for the kingdom of God. Just because he was faithful and had a concern for the body of Christ. And so he tells us the command is receive such a one and hold them in high esteem. He's not, he's not saying just, just put them on a pedestal and lift them up. He's giving Timothy and Epaphroditus as an example for us to follow. None of y'all seen Jesus. None of y'all walked with him in Galilee. None of y'all listened to him speak out of a human mouth. But you have people, the body of Christ has people all around that have given themselves, are giving themselves, have invested in your life. Anybody invested in your life? Anybody come and visit you when you needed something? Anybody come and saw you in the hospital, come saw your family? Anybody, anybody invested? Are you invested in anybody or are you thinking on your own things? You'll be happy to know that we're moving to a new subject next week. In chapter three. But understand, this is important. And that's why we've been, that's why I, I'm only been harping on it because that's what's next in the, in the chapter. But Paul spent a whole chapter harping. Invest yourself in the body. Don't think on your own things. Think on the things of others. Love one another. Get involved with your fellowship of believers. That's how you grow. That's how you, that's how you survive. That's how Christ works in you. It is the work of Christ, verse 30, for you to do it. He says, take these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and you follow them. Follow them as they follow Christ. Paul said that also in one of his epistles. They're just striving 
for the goal. It's too big to do. If you look at the big picture, it's like, there's no way I'm going to do it. But each day they're striving for the goal and they're investing their lives in one another. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've given us and all that you have done for us, God. We pray that you would help us to see our... uh,